Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technology is the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Hey, give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So good evening to you. Happy to be here with you as we kick off another hour of the Ask Noah Show. Again, the phone lines, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com if you want to be part of the program. Now, I am extremely, I don't know if you can tell uh, from the sound of my voice, I am extremely excited about this particular episode, and we have it. I mean, it is jam packed full of cool stuff for you tonight. Um, have I don't know if you guys have heard the news, but the cloud has killed uh, a Logitech Harmony product. That I'm super excited to talk about that and make fun of those who haven't. <laughs> of course, um, you're you know you're not going to get any sympathy from me, and you probably know that if you're using cloud based product. I say you got what you deserved, and we're going to dig into that story a little bit deeper. And the timing of this story could not work out better. Because coming up later in this week, uh, later this week is a contest that is going to utilize the original open source technology. But you can only participate in this contest if you're willing to host your own infrastructure. And if that sounds vague and clickbaity, it's supposed to. So that's good. Um, and we have an interview coming up this uh, this hour with the folks over at Snapcraft.io. They sat down with me and they shared with me some of the really cool things that they are doing. And I am super excited. It's it's kind of funny because it's it's like a yin and a yang kind of a thing where first we're going to talk about how terrible the cloud is. And then we're going to talk about if you're going to use the cloud, how to make the most of it. Um, so that's coming up at the end of the hour. And, uh, it, you know, the Snapcraft folks are, are really particularly cool because they are doing some things and creating a product that is changing the way that we do work at AltaSpeed Technology. So we're really excited to have them on the show and really excited to talk about that up, up and coming. Now, tomorrow, I'm going to be guest hosting Linux Unplugged, and uh, I'm going to have more details for that as the show goes on. But uh, if you don't have time to call in tonight, or if you're not with us tonight, and you've always wanted to call in, and you know maybe Monday is the day you work, and Tuesday is your day off, tomorrow's your chance, because I'm going to be taking calls. Uh, we're going to do a little Ask Noah-ism as part of the Linux Unplugged program. Details on that are coming. Also details of our War Stories episode. That's that's the episode that we're doing this coming Saturday. I'm super excited. I'm going to I'm going to get pizza in here for me. I'm going to pretend like I'm parting with all of you and we're going to have we're going to cram all of this into the show plus your calls all of this hour. Again, open phones, 855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624 and the email live at asknoshow.com. The Verge headline Logitech will brick its Harmony Link hub for all owners in March. Logitech has announced that it's shutting down all services for the Harmony Link hub, a plastic puck the company released in 2011 that gave smartphones and tablets the ability to act as universal remotes for thousands of devices. Owners of the product have received an email from the company warning that the link will be completely stopped working in March. On March 16th, 2018, Logitech will discontinue the service and support for your Harmony Link. Your Harmony Link will no longer function after this date, the email says, and there's no explanation or reason given as to why this service is ending in the email, but a Logitech employee provided more details on the company's forums, saying that there is a technology certificate license that will expire next March. The certificate will not be renewed, and we are focusing resources on our current app-based remotes, the Harmony Hub. Now, where to begin with this story? So first of all, let's stop treating certificates as if they are this like magical being that is, you know, the infrastructure of which is an insurmountable cost. I mean, a certificate, really? That's their, that's their excuse. Let's start with this. If there is anyone out there that owns a Harmony Hub and thinks that they're going to get any sympathy from me or this program, then you are sadly mistaken. You haven't, you haven't been listening long enough is really what it is. 
Uh, I have been telling you since day one, day one of this program, when we went live to stay away from products like this, to stay away from the cloud, stay away from services that are not under your control. Now, if you want to use services that are cloud-based, like DigitalOcean or IRC Cloud or Netflix or YouTube, uh, YouTube Red, by all means do that. If you want to pay for those services, and I'll give you an example because, you know, sometimes I have to square some of this with, the, with, with what AltaSpeed Technologies is doing, right? I, just because we can make a buck doing something doesn't necessarily mean that that aligns with what I think this company should be doing. And so I, I have to ask, I have to stop and do a gut check with myself sometimes. And I say, we, just this week, we sent out um, some access points. One, was go, uh, one set was going to a property and the other one was going to an individual residence. And um, obviously, you know, the, the property, they, they want managed services. That's what they want. And I wasn't exactly sure, we weren't exactly sure what the owner, the individual owner wanted. And um, so when it arrived, I said, here are your different options. Here's the different things, the way you could do this. And, and he said, you know, you guys have experience doing that. And I just trust you. I'll just I'll let you guys uh, manage that for me. You know, and that's no problem. Sure, we have the infrastructure to do it. Why not? But then I started thinking I, I, and I thought to myself, you know, there's no guarantee. I don't have a guarantee that I'm going to continue to run this controller. So if I turn this controller off in five years or seven years or whatever, and I just decide that's not something this company wants to do anymore, am I screwing all these people? And No, I'm not. Because... One, even if the controller went offline, the way that Ubiquity stuff works, the access point will continue to function. You just can't make changes to it. And if you want to make changes to it, you can always disassociate the access point with this now defunct controller and spin up your own. So the cost that we have charged them for the actual equipment is, you know, it's not out the window. They can still use it. Now, obviously, if we continue to charge people a monthly service charge for you know, the controller maintenance and stuff like that. And we didn't have a controller. That's, you know, theft. But I don't think that we lock people in. And I, I am cognizant of that anytime we offer a product or a service. The, if you want to use services like that, it's fine. But if you want your purchase, if you want to purchase a product and you expect that to be able to use that product, then it better not be dependent on the cloud. And really... This is, and you want to hear more about this particular aspect of it, you should listen to this week's user errors it comes out because Rakai and Chris and I kind of kicked this around a little bit, but there is no reason that this had to be tied to the cloud. The functionality that this remote provided, you know, maybe the outsource, maybe the tie into Amazon, uh, you know, for the Echo and stuff like that, sure. Um, but everything else, there's no reason that this this product couldn't continue to function as advertised. You know, sans one fee, one one function of the thing. But the whole thing, it's, I mean, it's a glorified doorstop. Now, if you want to buy these products as disposable electronics, then be my guest. And there are people out there. There are people that say, well, it's 100 bucks. So if I get one year out of it, then it's fine. Um, I see that a lot with Roku's uh, and uh, those, the Roku sticks and the Fire Stick. And, um, you know, I, at first I, I railed against them for a long time because they have this activation code that you got to go into this thingy and, 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 and uh, put in the code and then tie it and then you can actually use it. And when I started talking to people about it, they basically said, yeah, we don't care because as long as we get like basically one year out of use out of it, we, we're fine with that. And uh, if that's the way you view these things, then so be it. If you're OK throwing your money out the window and, and treating it like a disposable thing, I don't I don't expect to be able to, you know, continually get use out of a hamburger or a shake. I don't expect to get continued use out of a, a, a disposable, you know, thing of paper plates or paper cups. I just expect to buy them one time, use them one time, and then that money is, is gone. And if that's how you treat the technology, if that's how you view it, then yeah, sure. I mean, go ahead, knock yourself out. But me personally, that is not how I view technology. Me personally, I like to buy high quality stuff that's going to last. And I can give you a piece of advice on this because I'm an expert on my own opinions here. If you do something once and you do it right, it might cost a couple dollars more to begin with, but you, it, the time savings and ultimately the value that you get from that device, I always find pays off. I bought my universal remote over seven years ago and it still to this day works perfectly. 
and I can do all of the things that you guys can do with, well, <laughs> that you used to be able to do with your Harmony. Uh, the difference is because it's a professional grade remote and not some Chinese knockoff piece of crap made by a company who makes keyboards and mice and decided to foray into the remote control industry. It doesn't matter if URC completely goes out of business, which, by the way, they won't because they are the, the standard when it comes to home theater stuff. My remote is still going to function. Now, Logitech, in response to all of this backlash, is doing a make good. But my problem with talking about that too much or concentrating on that or saying, well, it's all right, it worked out in the end, is because we are treating the symptom of the problem. They are not addressing the problem, they are addressing the symptom. The symptom of the problem that people are buying these cloud-based devices, that people are too reliant on somebody else's service or device, the, the problem, that's the problem. They are treating the service, the fact that people can't turn their TV on anymore with their Amazon Echo. That's the symptom of the problem. It's not the problem. And day by day, we as a society are ex continually accepting that we don't need to buy a hard drive. We'll just use Google to store our stuff. We don't need to set up a signal server. We'll just use Telegram. We don't need to buy a server. We'll just use Amazon AWS. We don't need to set up a C file instance. We're just going to use Dropbox. We don't need Mattermost. We'll just use Slack. And I'm not exempting myself from any of this. I use many of these technologies. I use Slack. I use Telegram. I use Dropbox to a lesser extent. I, I am not exempt from this. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, there, that there, there isn't validity in what I'm saying still. We need to own everything, or at least try to. And a lot of us fall down when it comes to communication. We say we don't need to own our communication infrastructure. We'll just pay a cell phone company, and they'll do that for us. And then 9-11 comes along, and it knocks out some of the cell towers and the rest of the cell towers that aren't knocked out, they're completely overloaded. And you might have, you, there are people that had loved ones. They had husbands. They had wives. They had sons. They had daughters. And they just wanted to know if those people were okay. Text messaging wasn't working. Phone calls were not working. There was no way to get a hold of these people. You know what was working, though? A group of people that provided communication to the people uh, to the victims of 9-11 and to the families of the victims of 9-11. The, the thing that is so technically frustrating is that it's not that the phone is not technically capable uh, to facilitate thousands of simultaneous conversations. The problem is that nobody understands their device. They don't understand how it works. They just pay the bill and I'll put a bet out to you right now that most of you listening to this program, the, the vast majority of you, 90%, I'd say, have no clue what frequency your phone is transmitting on when you make a phone call. No clue. And to a certain extent, it doesn't matter. You all can make phone calls. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old saying, just because you don't know how to read the sign that says toilet doesn't mean you don't know how to use it. So to a certain extent, it doesn't matter. But if you don't understand the technology... One, you can't troubleshoot it, which to me is just very frustrating because I'm a problem solver. I like to solve problems. I like to under, I'm a tinker. I like to understand how things work, right? I take things apart that I have no business taking apart. Chris is the same way. You know, we're sitting in his RV. His air conditioning goes out. We don't call an air conditioning repair guy. We go up there, you know, in the blistering heat of summer with screwdrivers, hope we don't electrocute ourselves. We kind of like, you know, sit towards the middle of the roof just in case so that if we get electrocuted, we don't fall off the end. We take the whole thing apart. And we just keep tinkering with it and playing with it and trying different things until the air conditioner starts working. And it's not, well, part of it probably is a budget thing because it's, it, it, you know, having a service guy come out to repair it is expensive. But the, but the other part of that is we're just curious people. We just like playing with things. We like understanding things. And your phone is capable of a lot more than people understand it's capable of. But the problem is that most people don't understand it. And most people don't care to understand it. Now, there's a group of you out there who can tell me exactly what frequency your phone is working on. There's a group of you out there that you're not paying a monthly bill to talk to your loved ones. There's a group of you out there that you don't rely on the cloud. You don't rely on any central service. There is a group of people out there, and we call them amateurs, but in every respect of the definition, they are some of the world's most professional communication experts. Worldwide. And when this ragtag group of people, th th these geeks that just wanted to learn about electronics and communication, when they first transmitted a message, 
professional communication experts, they mocked them. And they said they sounded like pigs with hooves on the Morse code key. There's a bunch of hams. And that's what we're going to call them. We're going to call them hams because they, they, they sound terrible. They, don't, they can't do proper code. And those geeks, they, they took that name as a badge of honor. And here we sit, you know, a hundred some years after Maconi sent uh, that, that, the, uh, the first um, uh, wireless message, December 12, 1901. And the FCC, that's the, the federal government uh, organization that, that uh, you know, legislates, I guess, uh, regulates how communication occurs in the U.S. They now make it a priority for anyone that wants to play with millions, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of radio spectrum. Anyone who can prove two things. One, that they are willing to learn about the technology because it's the, the technology setting aside that much money worth of radio spectrum. There needs to be a purpose. You don't want somebody that, that is that just screwing around. You want somebody who actually wants to learn. And if you can prove that you have the intelligence and 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 willingness to learn uh they're going to give it to you for free and it went you know and it's it's interesting too i i was at a uh i was at a sporting goods store and i was goofing around with one of their flashlights and i was flashing morris code at the guy and one of the other guys in the back was a ham and he picked up on what i was doing and uh, and he was answering my questions i was flashing him in morris code and he was answering he was answering them and and the 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 other two guys that were sitting there at the at the counter they were watching this whole thing unfold and you know it's to them, I'm just goofing around with this flashlight, and this guy is laughing, or he's saying yes, or he's saying no, or he's, you know, and, and you know, they're, they're kind of looking around, they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on, and finally, the guy at the back, he comes out, and he's like, hey, hey man, uh, you, uh, were you in the military, or how did you know uh, Morse code? I said, I'm a ham operator, and immediately, the, the two that were previously totally confused by this entire event, they, 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 they both kind of, oh, you guys, you're like a cult. I mean, seriously, you're like a cult. And and to a certain extent, that's true. You know, I got off a plane in, um, I think we were in New York City, and um, the ride that was supposed to pick us up didn't pick us up. And so my wife was waiting to kind of facilitate getting everything kind of situated there. And I pull out my ham radio, and I jumped on the, uh, the, the um, repeater there, and I just said, you know, I'm here and hanging out. And... Um, Somebody came back to me and they're like, hey, hey, you need, and I explained, you know, I'm explaining the situation. He says, do you need a ride? And I said, sure. Oh, well, that's really great. That'd be really great. So he comes in. My wife's sitting there. Who is that? Well, that's, that's Bob. He's K4, you know, B3B or whatever. And um, she goes, well, do you know him? Yeah, his name's Bob. He's K4. And I've never met the guy before, you know, but, but, and, and it's Bob. It's K4, you know, GSA or whatever. It's, I'm just making that up. Well, how do you know him? Well, I, I, I just talked to him. So you don't know him. Yeah, I know him. His name's Bob. Well, what else do you know about? I don't need to know anything else. I know his name and his call sign. That's all I need to facilitate a communication. Come on, work with me. You know, and it's, and it, it, there is, there's like this instant trust. And part of that is if you hold an amateur radio license, I know that you've never been convicted of a felony, um, but there is a certain amount of trust and a certain amount of camaraderie that goes with it. Now, that is a cool part of it, not to be overlooked. But I'll tell you something. When somebody applies for a job at Alta Speed Technologies, that's my day job. And they put on the resume, and a lot of people do. They'll, they'll know I'm a ham, or they'll hear from somebody that, hey, you know what? Uh, you will get somewhere if you. Uh, if it'll it'll help you out if you put uh, your ham radio call sign on on your application or on your on your uh, resume. And, um, and and I get that turned in. We actually for a while. I don't think we do this anymore, but our our um, our employee badges used to have our call sign right underneath our name. And I they redesigned it, and the the guys they wanted something that looks more modern and cool. And so we went with the minimum amount of information on there and I think we actually ended up dropping the call sign thing. But um, when I get a resume that comes in, that person immediately goes to the top of my list. Why? Well, I know for one that that person can think outside of the box. There is no, there are very few standards in ham radio. 90% of things that exist, <clears throat> you visit 99 ham shacks, you'll see 99 different operations. You'll see 99 different setups. You'll see 99 different brands and configuration of brands and mix match of brands and stuff like that. Everyone kind of develops their own system. I've never seen like a commercial, uh, you know, drop in like, here is the transmitter you use. Here's the antenna switch you use. Here's the antenna you use. Here's the coax you use. Everyone kind of makes it up themselves. And, and that's changing, I'd say, in the last 10 or 15 years. A lot of things, as Chinese parts have become available, a lot of that is changing. But the, the, the very essence, the very heart of the hobby is doing things yourself, figuring it out and, and, and building something. 
And I know that person is going to be able to think outside the box. I know that person can innovate. I know that person understands technology. They don't just use it. And see, there's the difference. The geeks, and there are some of you in the audience, and I know because I've talked to you, there are some of you out there that when you go into a store, you look at technology and say, what cool things could I do with this technology? How could, what components could I buy and put together or assemble or make talk to one another to do this cool thing? I think that's really cool. And I think that's way cooler than those of you who go into an electronic store and say, what can technology do for me? It's a mentality difference. The difference is who is the driving force? Are you letting Logitech decide what features and things you can do? Do you look at the side of the box and say, Logitech told me today that I can talk to my little tube and then it turns my TV on? Or are you the kind of person that says, you know what? I want to ch- I want to turn the TV on with my voice. I want to talk to it. So how could I do that? Well, I need a speech engine so I could do something like uh, Mycroft and then I need the speech engine to talk to and you, and you start assembling these pieces. Well, I need I need to turn on the TV so the TV has an IR blaster so I, I can IR blast the TV and I can have this talking to them. That, that is how we get somewhere. That is how something really cool is born. And when it happens with a big company, they productize it and they sell it and they monetize it and there's nothing wrong with that. But what's way cooler, what's way more beneficial to the community is when a bunch of people come together and this guy over here, he, he's making the Mycroft thing and it's recognizing voice. And this guy over here, he's, he's really good with Arduino. So he can take any kind of signal that you can give him and he'll spit it out in, in IR form or RF or Bluetooth or whatever. And you get a couple of those people working together and you start to get these really healthy, mature projects that pop up that can work with one another. And then you have real lasting innovation, something that lasts for ages. And that's that's the kind of innovation that gives us things like asterisks. That's the kind of innovation that gets us things like um, file, like uh, how many different file syncing things do we have on Linux? In fact, that's the kind of innovation that gets us Linux itself. And that is so cool to me. And so those of you that look at what you can do with electro, uh, uh, you know, technology and not what technology can do for you. You guys are going to get a lot of a lot out of this episode, I think. Again, one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. Live at asknoahshow dot com. <clears throat> now I've got a small. Let's see if we can fire this thing up. I've got a small ham radio with me. This is a um, Yezu VX one seventy for the nerds in the crowd, and we're going to power this thing up. And um, we're going to announce myself online and we'll see if anyone bites. And if they do, then we're going to if there's any traffic, then we're going to pause the episode here and uh, we'll give you guys a taste of what it's like to actually own your communication system and have communications uh, with you all the time. And I'm not I'm not I don't need a service for this. Right. So let's go ahead and key up and uh, let's see here. This is Casey zero SKE monitoring nine four. Okay, so we'll just leave that there, and if somebody if somebody talks, somebody talks. If <clears throat> that was fast, N zero WWT Casey zero SK. Good evening. Hey, good evening. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm just giving a demonstration here to uh, to some folks about uh, amateur radio. Hopefully, uh, going to get them interested in November Sweeks, as we'll talk about a little bit later. How are you doing? your folks know that I'm sitting in my living room on my couch on my handheld 40 miles from Grand Forks uh, and uh, I'm crossband repeating through my uh, radio in my shack so as you can see that for a very low power standpoint I can traverse that kind of a distance with very little power okay so that's interesting so your your handheld doesn't necessarily have the power to reach me here in Grand Forks and so you're doing something called crossband repeating so basically you're taking your handheld your low power handheld and you are sending your signal to a more powerful radio that's sitting somewhere in your house I assume or maybe in your vehicle and then that's sending the signal that I'm hearing in, in Grand Forks uh, yep Roger that uh, basically that's about it I go ahead and I uh, have my radio set to the input uh, is on UHF side and then uh, I go ahead and set my uh, transmitting station uh, on 9-4 and um, so it's a UHF to VHF conversion and vice versa coming back Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, I was, we were just talking about how it's really frustrating when you have a, when you have, when anything that you have relies on a given service. And so you don't have that. You're, you have all the infrastructure you need is a DC battery, um, 
and an antenna and this and this equipment that you own is is the is the uh, crossband repeater is that in your house or is that in your vehicle? I set up my base station is a mobile radio, and I go ahead and I set that up in the crossband repeat. So uh, that works off. And believe it or not, it's also uh, uh, run off of a uh, battery. So I go ahead and I, I'm completely standalone uh, uh, from the grid. Over. Oh, that's fantastic. And what's great about it being on a battery then is you could tie that into like a solar system. So even if you did, so now we take away even one more uh, of, of the things that you need. Now all you need is the equipment and in your skills and the power could come from that nuclear reactor we have in the sky. Exactly. And, uh, and that's the way, uh, that's the long range goal is to go ahead and, uh, hook it up to a solar panel, which should be happening sometime earlier uh, next year or so, uh, and then converting it to charge my batteries. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to, to give us the other side of the conversation. You have a true demonstration. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you in a little bit. Uh, see you maybe on Monday Night Net later tonight? Uh, yeah, Roger that. I'll be there, and I uh, look forward to uh, checking in again. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later tonight. N0WWT, KC0SK, will be clear but monitoring. All right, November 0, Whiskey Whiskey Tango, monitoring. So, and that's that's what's cool, right? I've got this little tiny device, and you can buy these things for even 25 bucks. And uh, and you can, there's your communication infrastructure. And that is really, really cool to me. That That is what's truly remarkable about ham radio. Now, if this thing continues to, if somebody continues to, click the little button constantly i'm gonna <laughs> that's gonna be the end of the demonstration oh this is kind of cool too so everything is required to identify uh once every hour and so a lot of the older systems they still identify in morse code which that, that always adds a little bit of nerd cred when you're sitting there and your radio starts beeping in morse code and i can tell you what that says too um so uh yeah you the only thing that you need to do this remarkable cool hobby is a 25 dollar device that you can get off of amazon available with amazon prime we'll have a link for you in the show notes but you can buy the radio and it's not that great of a radio i'll just tell you that up front and there's a lot of people that really like this particular radio but it will get you on the air it's a favorite it's a particular favorite product among preppers and among survivalists and um, the Baofeng UV5R, which is the the radio, and again we'll have a link. It, it's it's a it's it's basically the Chinese knockoff version of the uh, more uh, well known company, well established company Yezu. Uh, I think Yezu is a Japanese company, and that's that's the radio I have here. Most of my radios that I have at home are all uh, Yezu radios, and I, I really like them. They very very high quality, top top of the line radios. Ham radio does not require the cloud. Ham radio does not even require the internet. It does not require a computer. You just need your radio, an antenna, and a power source. And you can get all three of those for 25 bucks on Amazon, available with Prime. Now, and I, just so you know, I don't make any money off of doing this. It's not like, you know, it's not like there's like a, you know, a, a ham, uh, uh, what do you call it, affiliate or anything like that. Full disclaimer, most of us that are in this hobby have spent like thousands of dollars. So when I tell you that you can get started for $25, that's like, that's like the bait. And then you constantly are like, Oh, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. And it becomes really addicting, but it always serves a practical purpose. And I think that's really cool because as operators, we get a chunk of every band out there. And I was, I just glanced over at the chat and there was a guy, he was talking about, he says, how does that, how does ham radio not interfere with other, other services? Well, you can think of the radio spectrum like different channels, and we identify channels um, by their – just for sake of simplicity, because most people aren't going to care about this this, this uh, definition. But basically, we're, we call channels megahertz, um, and I, I could tell you specifically what that is, but you understand megahertz if you have an FM radio in your car, right? You know your favorite station like we're broadcasting on 88.3, 88.3 megahertz. Uh, ham radio is a little bit higher. The top end of your dial is 107, 108, somewhere in there. At 140 megahertz, that's where ham radio picks up. And at 150 megahertz, that's where a lot of your police and fire and ambulances and stuff like that. And I could, we could map out, like we could lay out a big grid from zero megahertz to 10,000, and we could map everything from, um, you know, wireless access points at 2.4 thousand. Uh, you, you know, and or we could go to gigahertz. Um, we could, which is you know, obviously megahertz to gigahertz, same thing as megabytes to gigabytes. Um, we could map out five gigahertz. I mean, it, it all lays out on one gigantic scale. 
Um, but that's how they don't interfere is that they, everyone has a slice. Now the diff, like within those bands, they do drastically different things. The military, for example, they have very long distance communication that happens around 20 megahertz. And, and, and with 20 megahertz, you can communicate all the way across the world. Ham radio operators have a slice of that. Again, the police, fire department, EMS, a lot of those guys are on 150 megahertz. We get a slice of that. And T-Mobile just paid millions, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars for a UHF frequency space. That's like 400 megahertz, 500 megahertz. We get a chunk of that for free. Why? Because the federal government knows, because America knows, because the world knows that ham radio is where innovation happens. They know that it's the people who make and break, (laughs) quite literally make and break the technology and make breakthroughs on the technology. Those are hams. And they know that the only way to have those breakthroughs in technology is if you give hams some play space. One of, uh, one of the favorite things, in fact, I think the, my local club gives an award to this, uh, in this guy's honor every year. In North Dakota, we have a problem where our cars get too cold to start because the temperature gets down to 40, 50 degrees below zero. Turns out motor vehicles don't like that. Your oil turns to like this thick gel and can't run through the engine. So we have a heater that goes into the oil pan and heats the block of the engine and the oil, oil back up so that it can, so that the car can start more easily. And the gentleman who invented that device was a ham. And so we, uh, we give the, the, uh, the head bolt eater award out every year, I think. I don't, know if, I, guess, I don't know if we still do that. I think we do. A lot of people uh, envision ham radio is like these huge tube-based, you know, antiquated devices that you have to go on eBay to buy used. And then you have to, like, you're twisting wires together and, and licking things and electrocuting yourself. And, and all of that stuff is there. Like, don't get me wrong. There are people that do all of those things. In fact, one of my, my biggest kicks in the last couple of years is I've actually kind of gone back to a lot of Morse code. And because the thing that's really cool about Morse code is in the internet, in the computing space, in the internet world, we talk about bandwidth, right? How much bandwidth do we need to send a video stream or an audio stream? Well, by far, the lowest amount of bandwidth that you can get away with communications is what we call continuous wave or Morse code. Sending Morse code requires the least amount of bandwidth to facilitate communications. And it doesn't, it, it's also kind of cool that it can be visual or audio. I can send Morse code from a boat up to somebody sitting on a dock with a flashlight. And that's a cool way. It's a very, and it's, what's interesting is there's actually a lot of ongoing discussion in the ham radio community because we call it uh, digital communication because it, it literally is on or off. Uh, and so there's a lot of people that are like, ah, oh, it's digital, but you can do like my portable ham radio rig, which fits in a small Pelican case and was considerably expensive. And I bought it brand new that can be connected to my laptop and I can send data packets over it. Uh, so it's not, it, it all depends on what you want to do in the hobby. If, if trying to f- communicate with the least amount of power and the least amount of bandwidth in the most remote place, and there are people that do this. We call it QRP. You know, you you use five watts or less, um, which the you know, if if you understand what that means, you're you're talking about many many fractions of the power of a light bulb, uh, and 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 would ordinarily reach about about the same. And we compensate that by using special techniques and special antennas, and we arrange the antennas in a very specific way. And these kind of things allow us to communicate over great distance with low power. But yeah, you can do everything from that, which I personally find very fascinating, all the way up to I want to connect it to my computer and I want to do the most cutting edge, bleeding edge stuff. Uh, There are I was just looking the other day. There are um, there's there's companies that make these radios that can be connected to a network and it will encode your your uh, your audio into packets, send them across the Internet. It will come out on the other side and spit it out over an LTE radio connected to an LTE network. Now, if I'm being honest with you, it doesn't appeal to me as much because I I could do that with uh, Skype and a smartphone. Like I don't I don't really once I get past once I get to the point that I have to start relying on the public internet or I have to start paying for a 4G card, the appeal goes away for me personally. But my point is that the hobby supports a wide range of these kinds of things and it depends on what you are interested in. And I'll give you another example. So Chris, for example, he has this um, system in his RV that broadcasts his location. 
And uh, if he were a ham radio operator, he could use what we call the automated position. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's a bunch of ham radio operators that are freaking out right now. The automatic packet reporting system. The, the thing about APRS is APRS came out and it's this guy. He develops a system and he says, well, you can you can send packets over the uh, radio system and then we can have this. Um, we can put these little towers up that will receive the packets and then they'll put them onto a website. And so and we can then take that information on the Internet and spread it all over the place. And it's really cool. And a bunch of people are like, sweet. So I could hook up a GPS and I could transmit my location. And he's like, yeah, I guess that would be one use for it. And then everyone starts kind of combining this idea that you can transmit your location with APRS. And we know that the A stands for automated. We know that the RS is reporting system. So the P kind of is just my B positioning system, right? And that's not what the guy intended. It was one of the uses that you could do with it. And it's what the large vast majority of people do with APRS, but you can do just regular packets. By and large, though, if you if you buy like especially if you buy the radios that have APRS built in, it's for position. You connect a GPS and you can transmit your uh, location. And here's the great thing about doing it that way: it will go onto a website, whatever website you want. But because of your owning the technology, there's no cloud-based fee to use it. It's free, and there is no such thing as going out of a service area because your service provider, your service area, is a floating ring around the device that you're carrying with you, connected to your battery system or whatever. So the next thing that some some of you are probably asking is, well, how hard is it for me to become a ham radio operator? Well, it turns out that they give you the questions, the correct answers, and even the wrong answers that they're going to try to distract you with, to confuse you with, on a multiple choice test ahead of time. So if you can't pass a test where they give you the questions, the answers, and the wrong answers ahead of time, I don't know what to say. And it's not that big. I think it's like a couple hundred, que- the pool of possible questions is just a couple hundred of them. But if they ask you, what, so like an example question might be like, and this isn't a real question, I hope, uh, what color is the sky? And they will tell you the possible answers will be red, blue, green, and yellow. And the correct answer that we'd like to see is blue. So when you go into the test, you're going to see red, blue, green, and yellow. It might be in a different order, but those are the answers they're going to present you with and you have to choose blue. So, and so if you know the correct answer is blue, then you know that the right answer is, then, and you know what the wrong answer is ahead of time. It's just, it, it just painfully simple. Now, I'll stop right there, and I will say that if you just memorize questions, because there, there are some experienced operators out there, and they're listening to this, and they're going, I can't, be- I can't believe he just talked about the question pool. Because this, like, this is like a divisive thing in the community, right? Like half the people are like, yeah, just memorize the question pool, you can get on the air, and then you can learn the stuff. And then the other half of the people are like, that's a silly way to do it. You need to understand the technology. And, and I will tell you, in my personal experience, here's what I have seen. What I have seen is the people that just memorize questions are always the people that they have their ticket, they get their call sign, they're authorized to use the frequencies, but they never actually do anything because they don't understand diddly squat. They don't understand why it is they got into the hobby. They don't understand what the hobby is. They don't know how to understand how to do anything in the hobby. And it's, I've, I've just, it's, to me, it's just a mythical unicorn that somebody is going to, to, to get their ticket, get licensed, and then they're going to learn. If they were interested in learning, they would do it before they pass the test. They'd want to know why the answer to that question is correct. And let me help you with this. These questions are not terribly hard. There's, there's different sections of the test, and one of the sections is safety. You should not have to even read the uh, the safety questions to know what the right answer is because they are literally as simple as if somebody's transmitting with 1500 watts and uh, you see the antenna there you should a lick the antenna b grab onto the antenna with both hands c keep a safe and reasonable distance away from the antenna or d kick the antenna like it's they're that i mean they're that painfully obvious um the 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 only part of the test that is difficult in any real respect is they want you to know we were talking earlier on about frequencies and what frequencies fall in what service. You have to have a general idea. And when I say a general idea, I mean they want to know the exact frequency that something starts and the exact frequency that something ends. And, and, and you memorize all of these frequencies. And then the reality is when you actually go down to sit down to, 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 to practice the hobby, you put a chart up because you can't remember all that stuff indefinitely and nobody does. And so we all have charts up. And so we know what frequencies we're allowed to operate on. 
And the ones, the, the bands that you use a lot, obviously you start memorizing those. But like I said, we have a chunk on like every band possible. Who would memorize all that? And why would you memorize that when you don't use 90% of them? Uh, so that I, I've always thought is kind of, kind of crazy. But then again, I think it's crazy to that Cisco makes you do, uh, you know, like an hour worth of subnetting by hand when I've literally never met a single person who has ever worked in the history of networking that subnets by hand. We all have computers for that and they're way faster and way more accurate. And so there's, if you should know, you should understand how to subnet by hand. So you, understand what you're doing and then you should never do that again it's like html when you're doing web design you should understand what html is you should understand how to write it by hand and then you should never write html by hand again and there's probably some web developer that's like yeah that's that's terrible advice so i don't recommend learning that way i don't recommend just memorizing questions but i i do that to illustrate a point that i i mean i could literally i could train a monkey to get a ham radio license in six hours it's just not that hard of a test. Again, one eight five five four five zero noah eight five five four five zero six six two four. Live at asknoahshow.com is the email. A little light on calls tonight, so if anyone uh, is interested in talking about ham radio, I, I get and I get that this is probably not everyone's cup of tea. This, this is going to be an episode that is is going to be uh, somewhat specialized. Uh, chat room asks Colonel Linux, when are you going to get your extra? Here's the thing about extra: there are three different classes of license. The first one, which is primarily what I'm talking about and the technology that I'm demonstrating, is what we call the technician class license. That's the entry level license, and they give you just enough uh, of a sliver of this stuff that you can get your feet wet. The kind of uh, the, the the kind of gold um, that's the wrong term but but the, the kind of sweet spot in ham radio in my opinion is general class that's one step up from technician and that you get the vast majority of uh, of of spectrum allocation so you have you have a bigger bite on just about everything and you it opens up frequencies that you previously had no privileges on now extra the thing about extra is there literally are questions about like memorizing like satellite orbit paths and stuff like that and once you complete this ridiculously i think very difficult test uh they give you like the final sliver so to me it's always been like bragging rights like i'm an extra i i'm very smart and i passed and don't get me wrong someday i will i will have my extra um and they they remove the morse code requirement to get general or extra i personally will hold myself to a five word per minute uh uh Comp, uh, comprehension on Morse code before I'll even attempt the test, just because I just because it's a fun thing that I just want to do. Not that there's any you know particular reason to do that. Now the timing of this Harmony article lines up pretty well because it sets up this conversation we're having. But there has never been a more exciting time to get involved in ham radio, and the reason I say that is because coming up uh, next weekend is the contest to see who can contact the most stations. Basically, this contest is called November Sweepstakes. And November Sweepstakes, it's really unlike any other event. And it, it holds a special place in my heart because November Sweepstakes was the first event that uh, convinced me to move up. I, I had the technician license and I was perfectly happy uh, just doing what I could do. And then I saw what the full potential of ham radio was. And I realized that I needed a general class. And I, I did it, I think, in like two weeks. I, I from, from the time I was done in November, I sat down, I studied, 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 studied. I learned all the theory. And I just started, I, and I drove miles to go take my test. Because I was like, I need to do this right now. And it just, the bug just hit, and it hit hard. Uh, so November Sweepstakes has a special place in my heart. And um, it's a fun event where radio is going to be alive with everyone around. Because one of the things... That can be frustrating when you first get into ham radio is um, the local stuff like around your local area. There's be plenty of people to talk to when you start doing the worldwide stuff. Turns out people have jobs. People have to sleep. And so there isn't always uh, you, you depending on what and there's a wide range of frequencies that you can be on. Trying to find somebody can be difficult. And we have computer aids where people can post online and say, I'm at this frequency. Come talk to me. But to me, that that's cheating. It's kind of it's it gets out of the spirit of the hobby, so to speak. So I'm old school. I sit, I'll, I'll sit on a, I'll, I'll either hunt and pack or I'll sit on a frequency and call CQ and say, you know, somebody come talk to me. But, um, because of that, it can be, it can be off putting to a new user because you can't, sometimes you can't find somebody right away. The contest is great in November sweepstakes because every frequency is going to be jam packed with people wanting to talk to you. Uh, and full disclosure, because there's going to be some contesters out there and they're like, this is not the time to introduce new users to ham radio. This, this, this is not the time. And I don't agree with that. I think that the hobby is important to always be uh, you know, friendly and stuff like that. And so what I would recommend is if anyone is interested, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to take control of your communication, if you want to own your infrastructure, use the link that we have in the sh show notes. It takes you to the ARRL uh, Club Finder. 
ARRL is basically like a national club, and uh, they'll show you where to find your local station or your local uh, ham club, and uh, you can find out more information on where your club might be doing November sweepstakes. And, um, you know, for the more adventurous among you, I- I'd really recommend it. You might even actually decide to sit down and operate, which would be really fun. Again, phone lines 855 450 Noah. That's 855-450-6624. Live at com is the email. All right, I've got a couple things coming up that I want to talk about. Um, we have, uh, I'm going to be guest hosting Linux Unplugged. That's tomorrow at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific. Um, what's going to be really cool about this is, one, any Linux show, you know, you just, people are learning quickly. You don't have to ask Noah more than once to come on to a Linux show. Noah is very happy to do Linux shows as a guest, guest host, uh, participant, whatever. I love being on Linux. I love talking about Linux. And we're going to do that tomorrow. Linux Unplugged is basically an online Linux user group that's hosted by Jupiter Broadcasting, same company that produces our show. And I'm going to be a guest host there. And so me and a good friend of mine, Wes, are going to be talking about Linux and talking to the community. We have a community mumble room, which is basically a free piece of software, open source software that you can participate in the conversation. So that's tomorrow at uh, 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific. On Saturday... We are doing our War Stories episode, and I couldn't be more excited about our War Stories episode. I've been thinking about this since last week when we announced it. We Saturday night, I'm getting a pizza, 6 o'clock p.m. on Saturday, 6 o'clock central. Um, we are going to do a War Stories. We're going to have system administrators from all over the country, all over the world, if they're interested, call in. So if you usually can't make our our typical live time Monday at 6 p.m. Central, then maybe you can make this special War Stories episode. And you don't have to call in with a War Story. You can call in with a question. I'll still take questions. But um, it's I, I just it's going to be so much fun, uh, and then next week we have a super exciting guest. It is Wendell Wilson from Level One Techs, and Wendell and I every time we get to every time I talk to the guy, it's just like I, I'm telling you, just gold comes out of this guy's mouth. He is so smart, and he is he stays so far away from the drama and just stays close to the tech. And he's going to be with us on the Ask Noah show, and he is going to share a ton of things that he is doing with uh, virtualization and uh, and virtual servers and PCM pastor. And I mean, the guy is just, he's just brilliant. So I'm super excited to have him. So uh, if you can keep all of that straight, head over to asknoahshow.com and uh, th- that will hopefully help. Reggie is calling from Ohio. Reggie, I got uh, about uh, two minutes. Nope, oh, I clicked the button. Hold on. There we go. Hi, Reggie. Oh, okay. Hey. Um, so first thing, I just got a Lenovo T410 that I picked up secondhand and I wanted to know what your... Um, what your preferred Linux distribution to run on top of one of these will be. And then another thing is, is there any access that amateur radio license holders have to the uh, spectrum that Bluetooth runs on or that just general people can use? Ooh, good question. Way to stump me. Yeah, I don't, you know what, I'll have to look. I will find out for you, Reggie. I don't know what the frequency Bluetooth is off the top of my head, um, but I will find out for you. As far as what distro to use, I would suggest... Ubuntu, especially right now, man. If you use Ubuntu proper, you're going to get Ubuntu with GNOME, and that is where the future of the Linux desktop is going to be. And and if you decide that Ubuntu with GNOME isn't for you, hey, guess what? Uh, Fedora uses GNOME, Red Hat uses GNOME, SUSE uses GNOME, Arch uses GNOME. Like GNOME is just the desktop you want to be on. So that's what I would start with. I'd start with 1710 and see if that doesn't work for you. Okay. I actually ended up installing Ubuntu Budgie because I think it looks a little better. But oh, sure. Than yeah, well, Ubuntu Budgie is also a great choice, too. Don't let me turn you off from that. And yeah, if you uh, if you hang with me here, uh, we've got an interview coming up. And uh, or shortly after the interview, then I will, uh, I'll make sure and I'll look up what frequency Bluetooth is and I'll let you know if we have privileges. I would guess we do. I've yet to find anything uh, up to and including, you know, the, the high gigahertz range that we don't have uh, the ability to to broadcast on. All right. So here is an interview coming up, some interview audio with um, Simon from the Snapcraft project. Now, Simon is doing something really, really cool with DigitalOcean, and he was kind enough to come on to the Ask Noah program to tell us about it. So here is Simon from Snapcraft.io. One of the great things about the Ask Noah Show and the Ask Noah Show community is we get a lot of people uh, from the community that introduce me to other people that are both in the community and that are doing really, really cool things. The Ask Noah community has some of the uh, most amazing people working on the most amazing projects. And joining me now on the program is Mr. Simon Bennett. And uh, Simon has done something really, really cool that if I had known about, I would have been implementing in my day job at Alta Speed Technologies a long time ago. Simon, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, yes. Matthew sort of said 
get, I want you on the show. So. Yeah, and, and a huge thank you to Matthew for, for setting up this interview and, and, and putting the two of us together. Uh, now, Simon, tell me a little bit about what your project is and what it does. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so my project is called Snapshooter, and it integrates in with DigitalOcean. Uh, at work, we manage uh, loads of DigitalOcean servers, and we weren't really happy with the backup option they provide. They only allow you to do one backup every week and keep the last four. But they offer a really good API for taking snapshots, which is exactly the same thing. So I decided to build a whole service around this and allow you to do up to hourly snapshots of your servers and make the whole sort of process of backing up servers a lot better on DigitalOcean. So tell me a little bit about what the advantage is to Snapshooter.io over using the built-in DigitalOcean droplet. Uh, so yeah, the advantage basically is you can take snapshots far more frequent. You can keep as many old backups as you want. And we offer sort of a backup rotation as well. So you can say daily, weekly, and monthly backups, which are all sort of things they don't offer. Um, and in certain circumstances, we're actually cheaper for doing backups uh, than digitization would be, as they charge a flat 10% fee on the droplet size, not not actually how much you're storing. Where where are these where are the backups being stored? Are they stored on your service, or can the user point them to whatever you know block storage thing that they have? Uh, they're actually kept within digitization's infrastructure. Uh, which I suppose has its disadvantages that users can't download them. But in terms of security, which is important for quite a lot of uh, our customers, it's pretty good for them because it keeps it all tied into digitalization. We're just managing scheduling. Now, what is the cost for using something like Snapshooter.io? We have a free plan if you only have one droplet and you're not wanting more than daily. Uh, And then our sort of starter plan is about $10. And that gives you most of the features. Really? Okay, so the the uh, the $10 plan, that's unlimited droplets? or uh, It's unlimited backups, but it's three droplets, uh, which seems to suit quite a lot of our customers, really. They seem to be in that range. But we have bigger plans for um, our more enterprising customers. So we have, for example, one customer with over a 1,000 droplets. Really? Yes. <laughs> so you can see how sort of scheduling that for them is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, the scalability is fantastic. Tell me this, Simon, how did you come up with this? Like, you know, to a certain degree, a lot of people, I think, that are using DigitalOcean, they just say, uh, I'll just use the features and and things that are available to me from, you know, the place that I'm renting the server from. So how did you get to a point where you were like, I could do this better, I could offer a service, I could feel a niche that that isn't being filled? How, How did you ever come up with it? So basically, where I was being contracted to work, uh, they were managing um, hundreds of DigitalOcean, uh, yes, obviously DigitalOcean, but they were managing WordPress installs. So they were using the single-click DigitalOcean WordPress install, and they just wanted backups on them. But what DigitalOcean offer with weekly backups wasn't good enough. So I thought, well, they've got an API. This seems like something that can be solved. And the actual sort of scheduling of backups didn't take that long to sort of program. And from there... I decided to build a, pro- a product around this scheduling system. That's interesting. So you you know you took it from uh, you know their their API, which is you know that's an interesting topic in and of itself because you know at the Ask Noah show we start and stop the show uh, and send commands um, to our various servers using that API that we tie into the chat room. And there are a ton of different products and services, things from managing your droplets on your phone that have all popped up around this API. And so and and. Yeah, and so you're one of the people then that have said, I could do something far cooler. And I think it's interesting because DigitalOcean has kind of set themselves up and set themselves apart from other VPS hosting providers because they allow creative people like yourself to step in and build these tools and infrastructure that they don't really have to finance. Now, tell me this. Are you able to talk about the back end of Snapshooter.io? How how is this system hosted? Is it something that you're hosting at your house? Is it hosted, in fact, on DigitalOcean? Is it hosted somewhere else? It is hosted on DigitalOcean. Uh, however, as I've sort of expanded, I've moved some of the services off to Amazon just for sort of reliability um, yeah, sure. to provide sort of fallover. But yes, it is. It's built in PHP, uh, Laravel, if anyone's interested, and it's sort of hosted on DigitalOcean primarily. 
Fantastic. Are you guys looking at expanding beyond just uh, just backups, or is 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 that kind of the bread and butter? So that's that's what you're doing well. And that's what you're going to stick with. I think that's what we're going to stick with. We did look at other providers, so we might look at um, moving to to supporting a few other providers, but primarily DigitalOcean, as they do provide uh, the the right sort of API for what we're after. How about expanding uh, to one of the things that I have always kind of dreamed of is the ability to create a backup and have that backup stored on one of my remote machines. Is that something you guys would consider in the future? It is something we're looking into. So instead of relying on DigitalOcean's infrastructure for taking the backups, building our own infrastructure, which would then enable you to sort of export that backup to wherever you wanted. So are you saying that you'd want to run like a mirror on a on a server yourself or locally or you just want it backed up somewhere else right so storage is is very cheap if you buy it locally and of course we have our own server infrastructure here in the building but one of the things that is nice about DigitalOcean is that they deal with all of the redundancy they deal with when one of the hosts die my vps is automatically just seamlessly moved over to a different one and i never know it was down that kind of reliability that kind of five nines of uptime you know is something that is very expensive to match in-house but if i had the ability to take backups of that machine and store those backups locally on a drive uh, back here at the shop, that would be really beneficial. And so, uh, and it's something that DigitalOcean doesn't provide natively. So it, it seems like the perfect uh, glove, if you will, for Snapshooter to kind of fit in. I think you're right. I, do, I mean, we do get a lot of questions from people saying, can I download these snapshots? Is there a way to sort of access them? So I think that is more of a, a different service, but it is something we're obviously looking to grow at the moment our customers and if that's you know what people need um something we'll look into i'm not entirely sure if it's a separate product if you got what i mean yeah sure of course because then that would free up really to use any any server you wouldn't be limited to digitalization at that point Sure. I, uh, we work a lot with enterprise customers and I know one of the things that they are going to ask me is what if we have, uh, you you talked actually, you spoke on this briefly, you said, um, we had a customer that had a thousand droplets and you're backing those up. What kind of price structure is somebody looking at to get into backing up thousands of droplets? Uh, in terms of us or how much they pay digitalization? That's... No, how much, how much they'd pay for the Snapshooter product? Uh, we, it's sort of when you get to the end of the pricing tier, uh, you then call up for a quote, and we'll uh, oh, okay. we'll we'll sort of provide a package for you. Really, it depends depends how you're going to grow and what's happening and how frequent you want to take snapshots and stuff. So, if you want to do it hourly for a thousand snapshots, that's a lot more work than us doing it daily. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. And the other thing is, though, too, is I'm, I'm assuming when you start, I know, and we do the same thing, when you start working uh, with customers at that scale, you actually can offer a little bit more competitive pricing. Um, and so one of the things that you want to do is you want to work with those people and get them in and, and speaking with, you know, a sales representative um, so that they can understand, you know, this is what the this is what the pricing would be if we just scaled, you know, our, our traditional pricing model, but we can actually do a little bit better. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Uh, and that's the sort of the scale. Whenever you get to that sort of scale, you really need to be phoning up your providers and haggling. Um, so obviously, yeah. this is what this customer's done with us. <laughs> yeah, we're, sort yeah, of, yeah. we're happy to have them on board at that sort of scale. So. Well, this is definitely a product or service rather that uh, you know I'm going to be looking into further. You know, as we move on. Um, Simon, if people wanted to learn more about Snapshooter or if there's anything else that that's, you think that, you know, in a five-minute elevator pitch, somebody should know about Snapshooter, what should they know or where should they go to find it? Uh, brilliant. I guess the first place to go is snapshooter.io. Um, and on there, we've got this sort of basically summarizes the product and there's some FAQ section, which is really helpful with um, sort of all the common questions we've received over the last six months. Um, there's also a live chat and I'm sort of on there most of the time and I'll be happy to answer any questions people have even if it even if it doesn't lead to a customer outstanding well Simon thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show thank you for being a patron of the show for for listening to us and 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 supporting us in that way and uh, we wish you all the best and you have an open invitation to come on the Ask Noah show anytime and uh, definitely anyone that's out there that's listening that has a need for uh, back more frequent backups or in my case just uh, scalable backups and a company that's willing to work with you check out snapshooter.io thanks again, Simon. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Spain. 
So, uh, yeah, if you guys are interested in what you can do pushing the limits of DigitalOcean, then I'd highly suggest checking out Snapshooter.io. Now, before we went into the interview, we had a question from Reggie, and he was asking if ham radio operators have privileges on the bands that uh, do Bluetooth. So I looked it up. Bluetooth is 13 centimeters, for those of you who care, 2.3 gigahertz or 2.4 gigahertz band of the UHF uh, radio spectrum. And yes, we do have privileges. Our privileges are 2300 megahertz to 2450 megahertz that's what amateur radio operators are allowed to do okay guys uh, that'll put this episode in the books remember tomorrow 4 p.m uh central 2 p.m pacific time i'll be hosting linux unplugged the ask noah show continues next monday at 6 p.m central for more information check us out online asknoahshow.com huge thanks to vox telsis for our call-in system ben our producer sarah our call screener and of course, Rakai, our video editor, will hand you after Crosspoint coming up next on Locus Radio, KEQQ, 88.3, LPFM, Grand Forks.